Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to episode number nine. In this episode, we take a look at the spooky side of Christmas. From Jacob Marley, to Killer Santas, to monsters singing Christmas carols. So, whether you're being boiled in your own pudding, or buried with a stake of holly through your heart, please enjoy this very special holiday edition of Boys and Ghouls. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? It is the night before Christmas, but deep down in the dank, dark dungeon of Creep Castle, there is no Yuletide joy. Santa's coming to town. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games. I want an official red rider cover next to two inch wings while Aaron. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? I fear you more than any specter I have seen. Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead? Lead on, spirit. Lead on. I got pretty sick the year I got a 10-speed. So I, I came down to throw up and, oh. saw, and saw the bike by the tree. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. That's really gross. <laughs> it's funny, though. Kind of talk like, like normal. Um, hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. So this isn't the only podcast you're working on lately. No, it's not. Go on. Well... My co-producer and I, actually the um, mastermind behind it, um, Alec Wells, we've begun a podcast called Spookcast. And unlike Boys and Ghouls, it is, it's narrative, it's storytelling. It's really kind of open to any kind of interpretation of that. We've only done three episodes so far, and so far they're all pretty different. Some of them are just one person narrating a story. All of these are scary stories. Scary. Spookcast. Um, now, I know you're a fan of old-timey radio. I am. Like, uh, suspense. I've been listening, I and over the last the couple of years. Sanctum. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of that, and um, The Hermit's Cave, and shows like that. I just love them so much, and I'd been talking to Alec about it, and he'd been looking for, you know, different kind of creative outlet, and we thought, well, this could be really fun and inexpensive, and let's just write some stuff and get our friends to write some stuff, and we're going to get you to write something, Marshall. And I, I found I thought too big. I don't know about that. I thought I thought too big. Well, or at least too long because mm-hmm. your, your episodes are how long? Well, we're trying to keep them 10 minutes or under. The fourth episode that I just did the vocals for is actually going to be closer to 15, but we're actually okay with that. And we've talked about maybe doing multiple parters. Like tune in next week exactly. to find out. Yeah. Because I thought, you know, it was his idea to do something a little bit tighter. You know, just keep it under 10 mm-hmm. minutes, which is great. Sometimes limitations can inspire creativity. But I also think it could be really fun if someone had an idea that just couldn't happen in 10 minutes to do a continued next time. So that's definitely a possibility. Have you had to do Foley? Or has everything? Have you found everything like special effects libraries? Uh, no Foley yet. I think it's going to crinkle cellophane for fire. Not yet. So far, our episodes have been kind of more a person narrating the action, and if there's dialogue, the person doing the dialogue as well. We're still in our earliest earliest days, so um, really the sky's the limit as far as what we're planning on doing. We wanted to get it started, and we're releasing once every two weeks, which gives us time to make new episodes. But um, if you're interested in listening, and I, I would love for you to listen, if you want to go, it's Spookcast. 
www.podbean.com. And we also have a Tumblr and we're on Twitter. So if you're interested in our Facebook page, we, we try to post some really fun stuff. So uh, if you like horror and you want to keep it going throughout the year and Boys and Ghouls only comes out once a month and you love us that much, you can head on over to Spookcast and get your fill maybe twice as often, but for shorter amounts of time and in a different context. Sure. So same but different. <laughs> like Laverne and Shirley was to Happy Days. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So thanks for uh, letting me talk about it here. I think that's it's really fun. I'm really excited about it. I went to the um, Halloween Town art show. You did. Tell the, me all about first. it. There was a line to get in, first of all. Like, like it had reached capacity. We've talked about Halloween Town before on the podcast. Just or, a refresher or to people who don't live in yeah. Burbank. Right. Uh, Halloween Town is an all-year Halloween store. It's fantastic. And you may wonder, what does a Halloween store do during those 10 months that people aren't buying Halloween costumes? This one has uh, like a, an art gallery in the back, and they get artists to come in, and they usually have a theme. They've done like All About Edgar Allan Poe, and another one was The Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. the Disney Haunted Mansion. I saw The Haunted Mansion one recently. Se- several artists will like do their take on something in The Haunted Mansion. Rick Baker actually did work in that one, which I thought was really cool. Uh, Rick Baker did a lot for this one. This one was the Classic Monsters Tribute Show. That's cool. I didn't count them. I guess he had like five or six like big, nice, not for sale paintings. Some of the paintings you could buy, most of them you could buy prints of, and um, many of the artists were there. That's Rick Baker was there. Rick Baker was there? Yep. Cool. When I was standing out in the rain, I saw the guy you know, uh, Derek. Derek Mears. Derek Mears. Yeah, that's cool. For anyone listening who doesn't know who Derek Mears is, uh, he played Jason Voorhees in the 2008 remake, reboot, Reboot. they called it, of Friday the 13th. And he also played the werewolf in the movie Cursed. I mean, the list goes on. He's he's one of the coolest actor stuntmen in Hollywood. So Derek was there. That's awesome. He was there. And while I was waiting outside in the rain, well, under a canopy in the rain, I wanted to be like, hey, hey, Derek. Yeah. We know some of the same people. (laughs) Get me in. That's so cool that you saw it. Big and bald and easy to spot in a crowd. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Uh, Once I got in, I was on the lookout for um, Bob Lizagara. I hope I'm saying it right. He's an artist whose work I've enjoyed and purchased prints of, but I've never met him before. But uh, if you look up on my shelf, Uh is his Abbott and Costello meet Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yeah. I've seen this print before. His his imagining of what like a poster for that would look like. I would describe it to you, but I would do it in injustice. What, you know, because uh, Abbott and Costello took on the Universal Monsters. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what if they were able to take on, like, the Corman Poe movies as well and, and put themselves in that mix? Right. And, ah, oh, it could have been if uh, <laughs> time worked differently. He's also got a, a great one of, uh, the, like, the Wolfman taking off a Lon Chaney Jr. mask. Yeah. And and many more. Uh, check him out, Bob Lizagara. In addition to having a Tumblr and a Twitter and a Facebook for Boys and Ghouls, I also promote the podcast with a Pinterest account where I have many, many horror movie pictures up, all that link back to our podcast so I can, you know, get the word out. And he became my friend on Pinterest. That's so cool. Yeah, and has taken an interest in my Carried Away board, where I put up pictures of monsters carrying women. Oh, yes, I've seen this. Which, at first, I was like, oh, there's got to be 10 or 12. But I'm like over 100 now. And wow. Just, it's, a re- it's a repeating motif throughout horror art. 
Right. And horror movie posters, especially in promotional photos. And you and I did it to, to promote yeah, this. Yeah, we did. Some weird pervert's going to find your like Pinterest page, this carried away page, and just yeah. they're, they'll, they're like, this is what I've been searching for. Just some have, person with a, a weird... carrying women Just fetish. a weird niche. Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't mean to say pervert. If, if that's perfectly healthy, if that's your thing, great. Right. As long as you're not carrying them away without to their consent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I found him. Uh, did you talk to him? I did. <gasps> and he was like, oh, yes, yes, boys and ghouls, and carried away. I'm a delightful fan That's of your, awesome. of your Pinterest. That's so cool. So we, we talked for a little while about horror, and that was really great to like meet him. And I told him how much I liked the uh, the original for Abbott Costello, Meet Edgar Allan Poe painting used to hang in Halloween Town. Oh. And I was like, it used to be like right there, like right there on the wall. And I'd come and I'd look at it. Yeah. And I'd be like, 700 bucks. I'll just buy a print. Thanks. Right. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, I just sold it. Ugh. Ah, thanks cool. for thanks for being a fan. So that was cool. To That's like, amazing. What a cool to story. To meet um, someone whose work I admire. That's great. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees... Chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. Everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. I'm Kat Knipe. And welcome to a very special Christmas episode of Boys and Ghouls. Holiday episode, if you will. Although I think for the most part we're going to be talking about Christmas, right? No, well, has anybody made a Hanukkah? Hanukkah horror? No, but the challenge is on, kind listeners. Do it to somebody. That would be amazing. Eight deadly nights. I want to see it by next year. (laughs) Yeah, but this uh, this is our Christmas episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, I've got many notes. Among them is the traditional Christmas song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Uh Uh-huh. It's the most wonderful time. The chorus will be... Parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tell some of the glory, blah, blah, blah. Okay, scary ghost stories. Yeah. I've caroled maybe once, and I've roasted marshmallows on my own time. Not usually at Christmas. I've had s'mores. That's how I spent the millennial New Year's, actually, Mm. as it rang 2000. Yeah. I was making s'mores. Cool. So, okay, check. Y2K be damned. You weren't worried. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. S'mores. Yeah. So, ghost stories. Yeah. You ever sit around at Christmas? That's a negative. Nope. Never done. Me neither. It works for the song. Yeah. No one thinks about it. Everyone just sings the lyrics. I know I don't think about it. Sure. Okay, so that's two of us. Yeah. (laughs) Do don't tell ghost stories at Christmas. I mean, you know, one of the most famous Christmas stories is a ghost story, you know. Christmas Carol. I have it in like one of the bags I'm carrying around right now. I I always I always read it once a year. Oh yeah. You, you want to so. jump into now now that we've debunked the most wonderful time of the year. Let's let's jump into a Christmas Carol. <laughs> well yeah sure. To begin with, Jacob Marley was dead. There is no doubt about that. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Did Scrooge know that he was dead? Of course he did. A Christmas Carol is very spooky. Yeah. Especially depending which version you watch. Kat, what's what's your fave? Oh, I was gonna Mr. Magoo? make a horrible joke and, and say that Matthew McConaughey Ghost of Girlfriend's Past. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of the movie. Oh. Um, I actually saw that in theaters. Anyway, what's my favorite? You know, I know when I was a child, 
whatever version I saw over and over again was very much of the time and it wasn't a musical and it was the Scrooge was very scary to me and but I don't know who it was it could have been the same as me I believe um well once a year one of the networks would show George C. Scott. I think it was George yes, C. Scott. Yes, George C. Scott. He was very scary as Scrooge. Yeah, he scowls a mm-hmm. lot. Even scarier than Scrooge is Jacob Marley. Yeah. And in that version... Rattling them chains. They really play up the, the Jacob Marley bit in ways that I will now describe. Ooh, go on. Okay. One, he's walking home in the fog. Right. And there's a horse-drawn hearse that goes past him with like the glass sides. You can see the coffin inside. And as it passes, it just goes, Ebenezer Scrooge. (gasps) Then, of course, the knocker. Mm -hmm. He goes home and the knocker turns into the face of his friend. I Uh, just got a really vivid image in my head. You're bringing it back. Yeah. Yeah. That one's scary. But then, okay, so he goes to bed in his bed chambers. Mm. And this part was quite scary to me, which is all the bells in his house start ringing. (gasps) And depending what version you watch, sometimes they do that. Uh, in Scrooge with uh-huh. um, Bill Murray, I think all the phones start ringing. <laughs> Modernism. Yeah. Okay. In in my house growing up, in the basement, uh, we we kept a ceremonial Swiss cowbell, which I guess would just, you put on the cows, not for everyday use, but just like for a parade. Oh, I was going to ask what kind of ceremony. I, I When babies are born and when there are parades. And I, I, I assume like marriage a... Marriage um, anniversaries. <laughs> you just break it out during important events. Cattle marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I assume during uh, some kind of like Swiss Independence Day, yeah. which I think is in September. Please tell me it rang on its own once. No, but oh. the, the idea of that thing... Because like, like, you know, little bells throughout the house are just like... Ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. But the idea of that... Well, that it's just a bong. Oh, boy. You know it, somebody's moving that. It would just resonate. Yeah. The idea of that coming, not from the room down the hall, but from the basement. Ooh. Whoa, that's scary stuff. Hey, should we be worried about the kids in the audience? No, it's all right. This is culture. Oh. So, okay. In in the George C. Scott version, because he's dead, his jaw doesn't work. I guess old-timey funeral practices, they would shut your jaw with a handkerchief around your head so you're not just, like, flopping open. Oh, God. And the first thing uh, that he does before he speaks, before he can speak, is he removes that handkerchief from around his head and his jaw just goes, Bleh. And then he. Oh, God, I don't remember this. And then he starts talking. He's like, Everybody's is, your screw. Ooh, and is the jaw kind of. In life, I was your partner. <laughs> the spookier versions uh, play that up. But in all versions, they are covered in chains that rattle. Rat- rattling chains. Yes. Rattling chains is a very scary noise. Now, after that, the ghosts get a lot less scary. One of them is usually sprightly. Uh-huh. And the other one is like, get to know me, man. And it's just, there's all kinds of food. He comes with his own snacks. Yeah. But then the scary comes back in the last ghost, which always just looks like death. Yeah. He looks like the Grim Reaper. Even in the Muppet version, he looks like the bad ghost from the Frighteners. Ooh, yeah. And he's just here to let you know that you will be spending more Christmases dead than alive. Oof. In the, in, in the long run. Right. True. Yeah. Okay. When you put it that way, though. Sure. Depressing. In the George C. Scott version, which seemed to have spooked us both, the ghost of Christmas present leaves him in the middle of a field. He doesn't take him back to his bedroom mm-hmm. and then let then let the scary ghost show up in the bedroom. Yeah. He takes him out to a field to show him uh, like a poor family. Uh-huh. And then he's like, well, my time's up. Poof. Yeah. And then just like off in the distance, it's like, bong, bong. 
the final ghost yeah. whose telling was foretold, who he fears more than others, but by now he's kind of, you know, he'll suck it up and go with the ghost. Yeah. Uh, for a man who had been out of practice for years, Scrooge gave a most illustrious laugh. The father of a long line of brilliant laughs. If anybody out there would like to watch a version of The Christmas Carol with Vincent Price as the host or narrator. Oh my goodness. It was made for television. It's only like uh, 25 minutes long. It was made in 1949, which people had TVs. Uh, yeah. I know it was the end of the 40s, but you don't really think about right. the 40s and TV. 40s and TV. Really, most of my history is based on Back to the Future. So sure. it was like, well, that was November 1955, and they were just getting a television. Yeah. And the one boy didn't even know what reruns were. So <laughs> this took place six years before that. So I'm like, who's watching? Who's got a TV? Just like the two people with televisions got to watch this. Yeah. Are you going to tell me this is on YouTube? It's on YouTube. It's also on uh, Trailers from Hell in its entirety. Awesome. And Vincent Price, he would just sit in like a nice homey room with a book. He was there for like transitions and, you know, it had a little bit of special effects because Jacob Marley comes through a door. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't all just like live, like Playhouse 90, because I don't think they could have done that door bit. But it was all very much early television. Yeah. So for like transitions you would cut to vincent price oh man with like a goatee he looks kind of devilish yeah uh telling us what's what i love when vincent price tells us what's what in uh in researching um classic horror actors and their involvements with christmas time i also came across a 1950s sears catalog that would use vincent price to promote their ornaments i'm gonna put this up on our facebook page uh, you see Vincent Price looking very dapper and Vincent Pricey uh, hanging an ornament on a tree. And what kind of an ornament is it? It's all just straightforward Sears ornaments. But it says like, these ornaments have been selected by Mr. Vincent Price for his home and you can have them in yours. So it was like the Vincent Price line of ornaments. What an odd pairing. He wasn't really a creepy person. Yeah. He was a gourmet and an artist. Uh-huh. And had a house of his own with a tree that wasn't covered in bats and skulls like we'd like to picture Aww, it. Oh, no kidding. I wish. Maybe he had one in the basement <laughs> with bats and skulls. But, wow. But his regular one was probably pretty conventional. I thought this motion picture was called Christmas Sleigh. I own a sleigh. I mean, I don't see what this has to do with... Sleigh. Shut sleigh. S-L-A-Y. It's about an alien from outer space... And he comes and he terrorizes a bunch of kids over Christmas vacation. Terrorizes children, did you say? Yeah. What? Christmas? <laughs> There's a lot of horror movies that take place around Christmas. Yes, there are. There's Black Christmas and its remake. Christmas Evil, a.k.a. You Better Watch Out. <laughs> Santa's Sleigh. Mm -hmm. Silent Night, Bloody Night. Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S. Oh, boy. There's one called Elves, about evil... Elves. That, I bet, is truly scary. From 89. Twelve Good Night from 1980. Home for the Holidays from 72. That sounds heartwarming. I guess it Not is. Not to be confused with the one that Jodie Foster directed. <laughs> and one called Treevenge from 2008. Rare Exports is another one. And one just came out called Silent Night. Just plain old Silent Night. Mm-hmm. Which 
I hear, is that a remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night? It's supposedly a remake. I'm skeptical simply yeah. because... They seem to take a different tack. They do. Well, when I first heard about this new Silent Night, I thought, oh, okay, it's another movie about... But it's actually being billed as a remake. Maybe the movie itself will prove differently, but the trailer seems very different from the original 1984 Silent Night, Deadly Night. Now, Silent Night, Deadly Night is what I want to focus on. Ah. And you watch it once a year? Um, My brother and I used to watch it um, when I was growing up, and I spent many years kind of forgetting about it. And then it came back into kind of my You and I, well, you showed orbit. it to me, and I've I, never seen it before. Mm-hmm. But it's been two years since I've seen it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm making you the expert. Well, so Silent Night, Deadly Night came out in 1984, the same weekend as A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. And outgrossed A Nightmare on Elm Street the first weekend that it was out, believe it or not. You've made it through Halloween. Now try and survive Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night. The trailer for this movie, it, it's incredibly misleading about really the plot. It just shows Santa. You don't really see his face. It's just Santa murdering a bunch of people, which definitely happens in this movie. Let, let me tell you what I thought it would be. Uh-huh. I thought it would be a group of like young people out in like a cabin for Christmas. All the whole movie I thought would take place basically in one night, mm-hmm. and then someone would say, "Hey, did you hear about the Santa Claus on the loose?" And then the escaped lunatic Santa would find them, and he'd be like some kind of fat guy. Yeah. And you might say like, "Why does he dress as Santa?" Because oh, he's crazy. Yeah. And then just leave it at that. Right. Just and, to have the nice imagery of Santa murdering everyone. Yeah. And yeah. then you know, five six murders later, the movie's over. Yeah. Couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I this mean, movie takes place over about fifteen years, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. mostly over one night, Christmas Eve. Correct. But it doesn't just say, "Here's a crazy guy who likes to dress as Santa." Oh no, they take their time giving you character backstory. It gives you a reason for every bit of his insanity it's along true. the way. Yeah. First stop was his grandfather, who was supposed to be comatose. Yeah. Well, it's Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy-four, and little Billy, who's at the time, I think. Five and his parents and his little brother Ricky, who's an infant at the time. I, I forgot um, about Ricky. That's why you're the expert. Uh huh. Oh yeah, Ricky's sitting on mom's lap in the front seat with no seatbelt. The baby. Oh, so 70s. 1974. They're on their way to go see grandpa, and they get to the Utah Mental Facility, is what the sign says outside, which I think is hilarious. It's so generic. Yeah. Utah Mental Facility. This way to Army Base. Exactly. So. They get there, Grandpa's just staring off into space, and then, of course, the parents leave the room to go take care of some, you know, administrative business and leave the poor kid alone with his completely catatonic grandfather, who then proceeds to have this moment of enlightenment where he can he suddenly grabs talk. Him and he's like, beware of Santa or something. Yeah, he's like, you know what happens on Christmas Eve? And it's, it's absolutely terrifying. Now, uh, to better picture this, the grandpa was played by the same guy who played Mr. Peabody. Uh-huh. In the, Back to the Future. In Back to the Future. Uh, <laughs> he had this crazy idea about breeding pine trees. So he gets a little start from the grandfather. Then a criminal dressed as Santa who kills a convenience store clerk. Then like flags down his parents' car. And they pull over. They go, look, it's Santa. And which poor you, little Billy's terrified now of Santa. You were like, I'm not going to lie to you, Marshall. This part gets a little real. Yeah. 
it did. Well, little five-year-old Billy, and for that matter, little baby Ricky, watch mom and dad get butchered to death. And of course, they did do a lot of imagery where, you know, Billy sees his mom's shirt get ripped open and he sees her bare breasts. And so that image... That'll come back. It, it, it really does. Uh, yeah, that like, image is burned been, into you know his what? brain. I would have been okay if he had no notable reason for wanting to kill people having sex. I've accepted it in plenty sure. of other oh, uh, horror yeah. movies. But in this one, it says like, no, no, no. He doesn't have no reason. It's, no, it's a trigger. For killing people having sex. He's got a great reason, which we will now show you. Uh-huh. So... Thanks for that. Then fast forward through his many years in an orphanage. With his little brother, Ricky. I keep mentioning Ricky because that comes back in the sequel, but... When they try to bring a Santa along to, like, see all the orphans, he always freaks out. Some of the stuff when he's in the orphanage is really important and I think interesting. You have the Mother Superior and you have Sister Margaret, who's younger... And the Mother Superior, you know, when when little Billy is remembering these things that happened and drawing awful pictures in class about it, bloody pictures of Santa murdering people, and Sister Margaret takes a picture to the Mother Superior and she says, he needs help, he needs to talk about this, he needs to get it out. And the Mother Superior goes, he doesn't remember anything. You just have to suppress it. And I think that's very important and very interesting because it's her opinion. It becomes a time bomb. He needs to push it down. So you have the breasts in the beginning where he sees his mom getting murdered. And then Billy hears strange noises coming from one of the rooms in the orphanage. Oh, yeah. And goes and peeks in a keyhole and sees two teenagers getting it on. At which point the mother superior sees him and beats him with a belt telling him that punishment is good, punishment is right, you will be punished, punish, punish, punish. These are all associations These are all the, the building blocks of a killer Santa. Yeah. So then when he's 18, 19, strapping young boy, Sister Margaret gets him a job. He grew up a, big. The way they shoot him is really funny, too. It's very, like, appreciative of his Adonis-like figure. Gotta get a job. Uh, Sister Margaret gets him hooked up at Ira's Toy Shop in the warehouse. So he's working in a toy store lugging boxes. Yep. With a bunch of sinners. All the people who work there are like t- drunks and lushes and... A, a dodgy crew. Yeah. And then uh, business picks up. Well, first of all, the 80s nostalgic folks like myself who uh, came up on a lot of 1980s toys. <gasps> oh, yeah. There's a lot of those in the background and you're just like, oh, man, look at, look that. at that. Look at that. Oh, it's in mint condition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's them. brand new. I have to go back and mention one thing, which is... When Billy's parents are murdered, I think there's a really beautiful moment at the end when he's standing there watching all this happen. And then they, the way they transition from that to St. Mary's Home for Orphaned Children, there's this, like, gospel song, like, Poor pretty baby! It's like this soulful, like, ironic, rockabye baby gospel song that's playing, which I think is great. And then cut to when he's older and he's now gotten this job. Yeah. And everything things seems to be going so well. There's well, this... he, he gets a job in like October or something. Uh-huh. And then just sort of slowly the Christmas imagery starts to build and right. build. And then there's like, he can't get away from images of Santa. And this is all over the course of a song. And all the music in this movie is original. I think done by the same guy. So you've got Christmas songs that sound like other Christmas songs, like there's a rip-off version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town that's like, Santa's watching, Santa's waiting, it's supposed to um, embody that spirit. Anyway, this song is that plays during this montage of him getting the job and then, as you say, transitioning over a couple months to Christmas. He's like lugging boxes around. And the song is, Cause it's always Christmas on the warm side of the door. Do you remember this? 
It makes no sense. You don't remember this? Oh, it's such a genius. I was probably concentrating on the Star Wars toys behind him, like the Hoth action set. I wrote down a couple of things that happened during this warm side of the door montage, which are Billy is shown punching a time clock and smiling, you know, having fun working, moving boxes. Good good Uh, time out of the orphanage. One of the guys who, uh, this horrible guy who works there with him is back in the warehouse pouring himself a glass of wine, offers some to Billy, and he turns it down and drinks milk. This happens. Yeah. He's smiling at the girl who he likes. This girl there. All the all happy things, right? This pretty, is all... Pretty this... good, th- good things until Christmas comes and ruins it. Right. And so you said that Christmas... Okay, the decorations start going up. Billy's face is a little confused. I don't even think he knows the time bomb that's waiting inside. Sure. But what then happens? Well, it all comes to a head on Christmas Eve yeah. when... Um, Kind of like uh, a miracle on 34th Street. The Santa that they were going to use is uh, unfit or doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, we need another Santa. And not knowing Billy's background. Who could have guessed? He's the only one who really uh, fits the suit, I guess. Yeah. So then he has to get into a Santa suit, which really, he makes it all day. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a really weird moment where there's a little girl on his lap, and the little girl is clearly nervous, probably feeding off his nervous energy. He's sweating bullets. Yeah, and she's she's going, no, I don't want to be here. And he's whispering in her ear, out of earshot of the mother, you're going to be punished. You better be good. Be a good girl. And he's, like, threatening her, and she finally just, like, calms down out of pure terror. And someone in the back, someone who's watching goes, look how great he is with the children. It's <laughs> 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 really funny to me. You're really kind of still rooting for him at that point. Yeah. To uh, just get through the day and then go home. Don't don't just start <laughs> murdering. Cry yourself to sleep. But it is called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. So what pushes him over the edge is that he sees this guy. I think his name's Tommy. The well, guy. It's, it's closing time. Yeah. He's still in the suit, and everyone's God. like cutting loose like you would if you worked at a toy time store. Time to booze up after hours, and they're yeah. all singing these generic, newly written Christmas songs. Uh, there's plenty of royalty-free Christmas songs. Like you know, I know. Jingle bells. Don't ask me why. I guess they thought they'd be better off. I, who knows? All right. We're starting traditions left and right in this movie. Yep. Hey, I now know uh, that song that's in that. I just sang it for you. But yeah, so Tommy, this butthead who he's always cracking wise, goes in the back storeroom with the girl that Billy likes to smile at. Yeah. And starts um, forcing himself on her. Rips open her shirt. There's a lot of that in this movie. This is where it kind of, for me, like the character stuff gets a little less interesting and it just becomes about close-up shots of gore. But yeah, so he goes in there strangles Tommy with a string of Christmas lights, which is always a nice piece of imagery. After probably an hour of building a case mm-hmm. for his insanity. Mm-hmm. We've finally... Now we're, Now we're collecting. And then he murders her. I guess he sees her boobies, and Just, that's triggers, and so he kills her, he too. Oh, yeah, Billy likes to say, punish. Does he say naughty or nice He a lot says naughty. Once? I don't know if he says naughty or nice. He definitely says naughty. Then basically just goes on a spree across town, just wandering around and finding people to murder. I mean, this, truly. At this point, it becomes the movie that you thought it was going to be from the start. Right. Which is a Santa going around, killing people in a Santa suit. It's some of it's just an excuse to have another topless girl get murdered. A guy sledding. Yeah. Gets his head cut off. Yeah. He's going, I guess, door to door. And and he he finds, like, the one topless teenager. Who answers the door topless. Yeah. Come on. Wasn't she, like, doing it on the pool table? Yes, Lord. And then he kills her with antlers. 
I don't know how to pronounce her first name. I think it might be Lene Quigley. That's the name of the woman with the topless woman who gets impaled on the antlers on the wall. Sure. I was looking her up. She is quite the horror queen, actually. She was in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. She was in Return of the Living Dead. She was in Pumpkinhead 2. Oh. So I thought I'd tell, among many other things, actually. She's in a lot of stuff. I just right. thought I'd mention that. And then, okay, there, there's also a little girl there. Now, is that when he goes, is he like naughty or nice? And she just goes, he, nice? She says she's been nice. And he says, are you sure? And then he gives her a box cutter and sends her on her way. Ah. Yeah. He just, uh, you Cut. think he's going to murder her. She is the Cindy Lou Who. She is. Of yeah. Silent Night, Deadly And Night. actually, and I don't want to talk too much about the sequel because it's been a long time since I saw it. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And maybe, but Ricky is the star of the sequel, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. It's the little brother. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad there's some continuity. Yeah. There's a little girl moment in that one, too. He's on a rampage, murdering people literally in broad daylight, walking down the street. And this little girl on a tricycle or a bike runs into him. Like, you know, she's riding along and she hits him. She goes, excuse me, mister. And he goes, that's okay. And just lets her go. Yeah. So that happens again there. So so we're kind of like, at least we know it truly is a product of his mental, of his history, rather than he just wants to murder people. It's like, well, no, he has very specific triggers for that. So he's not going to kill the little girl. And then he winds up, well, Sister Margaret hears about all this, right? She's working with a local sheriff. Then they figure it out in the morning. They go, oh my gosh, he's going to go. Actually, back Sister Margaret figures it out. He's and, going and back to the, the orphanage. the climax of the film is Christmas Day, which also surprised me. The movie was full of surprises mm -hmm. as far as breaking from conventions. Because I assumed it would end at night. Mm -hmm. you know, And by day, everything would just be by Christmas Day. One surviving girl would wrap things up and roll credits. Mm -hmm. But this one continues for a while as he goes back to the orphanage. There's also a really there. awful moment where they've phoned ahead and they have other police officers already there before the sheriff gets there. And they've said, be on the lookout for somebody in a Santa suit. And then, of course, do you remember? Oh, yeah, a guy who just I, like... Well, priest like father o'grady or something or another bad day to be um, wandering around dressed as santa well and he's deaf so when the officers are saying back away from the children he can't hear them so they shoot him because they think you know they're like why wouldn't he back away if we told him to so they shoot him dead so you've got father o whatever on the floor and yeah billy shows back up at the orphanage and you kind of... His motives aren't really clear. No, and the, the end of the movie's kind of muddy. Anyway, I guess Billy goes to... I don't... It, it's all kind of a mess. But Billy ends up getting shot. And Ricky sees his brother get shot. That probably will not be helping his mental... No. And in ability. fact, I think the last shot of the movie, or Ricky looks off into the distance kind of like menacingly and says, you know, punish or naughty or something. So then you're kind of led to believe, oh, I see... This is the cycle. Sure. Now Ricky saw something horrible happen. Now there's an orphanage full of children that saw something <laughs> horrible happen All of them. And they Santa. will go out into the world. Because there have been um, how many sequels? There are at least five. There were, there were at least five films that I know of. Right. Zoinks. Uh-oh. Looks like somebody stepped under the mistletoe. <laughs> That's one way to get a bang out of Christmas. <laughs> I'd like to uh, swing us back to what I think is probably your, f I don't know, your favorite killer, Santa. Yeah. Which is the Tales from the Crypt. Most definitely. Episode yeah. and all through the house. Which is what I thought Silent Night, Deadly Night would be more like. I thought it would just be, well, just what it was. Just someone comes on the radio and says, you know, uh, be on the lookout. There's a man dressed as Santa going around killing people. The end. Yeah. 
This episode opens with the Crypt Keeper hauling a sack of goodies of some kind over to his chair. Dressed as Santa. And his body is, like, weirdly solid. Like, you know, I think of him as being really tiny and spindly. Well, this was only the second episode. I don't think they'd really found their feet. Ever? I think so. I didn't realize this. I think it was part of an original three that were supposed to make up a movie. Mm. But then they decided to release it as a series. Oh, that's fun. Is... What I believe happened. And so he hops up on his chair and he starts with the puns and, you know, holiday fear. I mean, cheer, you know, which I love. And actually, at the end of the episode, he does say boys and ghouls, which made me really happy. I was like, dee. One of my favorite things about this episode, though, is that the opening credits, Mm -hmm. where you see a lot of names you should know, meaning like Robert Zemeckis um, Directed directed it. Alan Silvestri did the music. Um, He also did Death Becomes Her, which is some of my favorite film scoring of all time. Anyway, during the entire opening credits to this episode, it's the full length of Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. The whole song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, which I've never had, by the way. But it's a nice panning shot of the house, and then it finally comes to rest. It is. It's beautiful. It's snowing outside. Also, this was written by Fred Decker, who uh, directed Night of the Creeps. Oh, really? And Monster Squad. Oh, and the cinematography in this was Dean Coondy, who also DP'd Halloween. It's a who's who. And the fog and the thing. So anyway, and we open on Joseph, the, what a butt face. Joseph, the stepfather. He's got like one line. He's reading a book, which is a Christmas carol, must be. Because yeah. he goes, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> right. And then closes the book. I mean, the acting in this is just yeah. so over the top. And um, his wife, he, he says, we ought to do something about this fire. And he goes, did you get the poker? And she goes, I did get the poker. And he goes, well, let me have it. And she goes, what did you say? And she's standing behind him, poised to use the poker. And he says, I said, let me have it. And she raises the poker over her head and slams it down into his skull, thus killing Joseph. Turns out her whole plan is to murder her husband. Dump him down the well. Collect the money, dump him down the well. Then all his money, the insurance and everything, will be all hers and her boyfriend, the Vic Monster, who we learn when she calls him like a moron after she murders her husband, calls him and says, I know you said not to call, which is just so dumb. So this was her master plan. And she has a little girl named Carrie who she's put to bed. Anyway, so all this, oh, her plan goes brilliantly. She's killed her husband. She's going to dump him down the well. Everything's going to be fine, except there's a complication, right? There's a a maniac on the loose. So to throw a wrench in her plan, an escaped mental patient dressed as Santa Claus is wandering the area murdering people. Now. She doesn't hear We don't know his motivation. No. We don't know his connection to Santa. Nope. And I'm pretty okay with that. Yep. We don't need an hour of buildup starting with him as a child. No. We've already gotten that from Silent Night, Deadly Night. We just, all we need to know is he's crazy and he's in a Santa suit and he's on a murderous rampage. She doesn't hear this on the radio, so he shows up and surprises her. She has a tussle with him. What Some of my favorite things about this episode, if you've never seen it, and you should really seek it out. And it's on YouTube in its entirety, and you uh, can the, find I it. I watched it the other day um, on YouTube in its entirety. Yep. And really do yourself a favor. Is All the outdoor stuff is so clearly on a soundstage, just there's nothing not funny about it. The acting is is so perfectly over the top the revelations she has out loud a lot um, of talking to herself so much talking to herself the cops call the house to tell her that there's someone on the loose and they're gonna have a cop out to her area in 20 minutes you're gonna have what the police are coming here you know she's just murdered someone no one happens to notice how suspicious she sounds on the phone you know well you must have the holiday jitters as things don't worry ma'am have some eggnog 
Right. As she decides to blame the murder of her husband on this crazy guy who she's just knocked out cold, or she thinks she's killed him, you know, she's saying out loud, why, yes, officer, I didn't kill him. Santa did it. You know, just the most ridiculous. Ultimately, there's nothing unique about this. I mean, I, I really think my favorite thing about it is the acting. And the lines in it are beautiful. It's just plain silly. And the Christmasness of it all. And the Christmasness of it all. There's snow. There's a fireplace. There's a fireplace poker. There's a Santa. There, When she ties a bag over her husband's bleeding head, there's a bow around Why it. Why does she do that? There's no reason for that. Keep it off the carpet. I guess so. I had to give a shout out to Larry Drake, who plays the Santa in this. Who He doesn't really talk except at the very end. Yeah. But he was Dr. Giggles. Oh. The movie in 1992, which I, I recognized him as that because I saw Dr. Giggles a lot for some reason. I've seen <laughs> it many times. When I, I don't know. I guess it came on TV a lot or I taped it. Anyway. I knew his face, so when I finally saw it all through the house, I was like, that's Dr. Giggles. He's a great actor. I think he's a lot of fun. But all that is to say, the plot of this is just, it's so convoluted and silly, but the best part of the entire episode, you know, my favorite part. The ending. Is the ending, wherein little Carrie comes around the corner. Mom mom realizes he's after little Carrie, and she can't. Yeah. She goes to Carrie's room, and Carrie's not there, and she's horrified. She comes to the top of the stairs, and Carrie's at the bottom of the stairs, and she goes, oh, thank God. And Carrie says, don't worry, Mommy. Santa came, and I let him in. He didn't even have to come down the chimney. And then she reveals Santa. To which Mom responds. Santa gets his one line. Oh, and Santa says, naughty or nice. And then uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who plays the woman in this episode. Robert Zemeckis' wife at the time. I just learned that just now when you told me that. You and I read different IMDb trivia. Apparently. She proceeds to scream... 16 times in a row. I I can't, I just, what I don't understand is, I mean, what was, I wanted to be on set that day. Just, to, I mean, was the direction just keep screaming? Don't worry, we'll edit it down later. Just scream, yeah. give us a lot of takes. Just scream a lot. And then we'll figure it out later. And then they just thought all of them were amazing. And they kept, 16, you count it. Naughty. Oh, nice. And if you do count the screams, as you really should, make sure you really pay attention to I scream. I did, so I knew you'd ask. Scream 14. Because her eyes open extra wide. It's like she gets a 14th wind and just lets it rip. She's, oh, it's amazing. And that's how the episode ends, was with her screaming oh, and screams. screaming and screaming. Not running, not going and trying to help her daughter, just screaming. And then the Crypt Keeper comes on and does, I think, what he does best. Yeah. Which is, and what, what that position is kind of for, to come on and be like, Oh, don't worry about Carrie. He likes older women. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's genius. Which, by the way, Carrie, why isn't she afraid of sweaty, gross, bloody, drooling Santa? I, uh, you know, I, we, we tell her that Santa's all right. He's in a Santa suit. I guess. He's so She's scary. small. He's bloody and sweaty and drooling and going, Ugh. He's like a... Everything else matches. He's like a big zombie. Getting into the house on Christmas Eve. Right. The suit. Right. The beard. Right. I guess he's kind of rotund. Yeah. Not mm, a small man. kind of works. Ugh. Well, anyway. It's the perfect blend of horror ridiculousness and Christmas. It, oh, it's just it's just great. Tell me more about this, uh, this Christmas. Well, it's a wonderful time of the year. Everyone has lots of fun. You mean they get in fights? No, no, they have fun. Fights are fun. I like fights. 
and you give each other presents. And when you open them, they explode, right? No, they're nice gifts. Nice? Doesn't sound like much fun to me. Ah! A snow beast. I would like to look at something a little nicer than Killer Santa's. Yeah. Twilight Zone's Night of the Meek. Uh, you're going to have to take the helm on this one, my friend. Okay. Night of the Meek, unfortunately, was one of the handful of episodes of The Twilight Zone that they did on video to save money in oh. the second season. I think CBS was like, shoot a few on video. It saves us five grand an episode. And they just look bad. And, yeah. Uh, the sound is weird because it's clearly a sound stage. It was very hard to edit video, so they had to do in-camera edits. So it was just very limiting in what they could do. Yeah. But... The story is great. The acting's awesome. It's uh, Art Carney plays a drunken department store Santa. It opens in a bar. Santa's been drinking. And he goes back to the department store and his boss is the guy who did the voice of Piglet. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? And when he talks, he sounds like Piglet. I would, I'm sure. I'd hear it. And then there's some like bratty kid and he's like, Santa's loaded. Oh boy. Is he singing like in Miracle on 34th Street? Jingle bells. That's what it makes me think of. He, drunken he does a good deal of stumbling. Oh, yeah. And that, but what he gives is a speech as the department store manager, as Piglet fires him. Oh, boy. He, like, gives a speech about all the poor children. He's like, you know what I wish for? For, like, an even break for all the destitute people, because he lives in a crappy neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So he's he's surrounded by poor children, and he just goes out. No like, wonder he's drunk. Dressed as Santa, and then just cries on the curb. Oh, God. With them, because they start coming up to him and be like, Santa... Get my dad a job, and he's like, uh, oh, jeez, weeping. So he's kind of hit bottom, and finds a bag which at first just looks like it's full of like garbage and tin cans. Yeah, and then he looks again, and it's full of presents. So he starts handing them out to kids, and all the kids are like, "I want a train. I got a train right here. I want a doll. I got a doll." And then he goes into like the local mission. Where all like the rummies are on Christmas Eve, and, and so he's you know, hey Harry, what do you need? I could use a smoking jacket. Well, here you go. Right. Like I could use a cane. He brings out a cane, and then the woman who runs it is like, these must be stolen. She gets the cops, and then he's got to go to the cops. They think he stole from the department store. So Picklet comes back, and he's like, well, look in the bag. It's all garbage for a moment. But then he's like, what do you want more than anything, Mr. Duncan? He's like, well, I'd like some 1913 cherry brandy. He's like, oh, that is a good year. And he gives them the brandy, and they're all like, <gasps> that's random? Yeah. And then he goes out, and then he continues to give out toys to, like, the, the slum children until the bag is empty. Mm -hmm. And, like, one of his bum friends comes out and says, like, hey, Art Carney. Did I mention it was Art Carney? Yeah. Okay. Who, by the way, never even takes off the beard. You just see him from the nose to the eyebrows. Huh. He's in the Santa suit the whole time. Yeah. And he's like, why, you didn't get anything for yourself. He's like, well, you know what I wish? I wish I could do this every year. And then he turns uh, the corner, and there's a sled and reindeer and a 13-year-old girl dressed like an elf who's an elf. Yeah. And he's like, well, hey there, we've been waiting for you. Weird. And come on, we got to get to the North Pole. And by the way, his beard through this whole thing is like bad Santa beard. Yeah. It's like of course. Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places beard. Wait, but then does it become like a nice, genuine, great beard? No, but he's got a year to grow one. Oh, all right. Let's, let's just say. Yeah. Uh, so he hops in the sleigh and they go off and then like the cop and Piglet are kind of walking together and they're like, did you see what I saw? I'd hardly believe it. But it looked like 
Art Carney in a flying sled. And they're like, we better go back to my place and drink a little more of this brandy. So they have friendship. And Art Carney gets to be Santa Claus. Wow. And the children get toys. And it's Night of the Meek. Wow. This is... I guess I always thought... I don't know. When you started this, I thought I was expect I was waiting for the scary punchline, but nothing. No, it definitely. It's, it's definitely odd and fantastical, but not in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> wow, interesting. And it, I, I like episodes of the Twilight Zone. I sort of gauge my appreciation for them. One of the things I really like is when Rod Serling actually just sort of steps into the scene. Like in some of them, it's a voiceover, and right. I like those the least. Yeah. And in some of them, it kind of whip pans over to a corner of the set that you can tell was recorded later. Yeah. And sometimes it just cuts to him in sort of an anonymous room. But in some of them, my favorite ones, he just sort of shows... It's like he's a little omniscient angel or something on yeah. the side. Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden he's in a little girl's room smoking. Yeah. And and just telling us what's up. And right. in this one, he shows up dressed for the weather oh. because it's cold. So he like shows up with like a scarf and, a, and an overcoat. That's cool. Yeah. So, because of the video, I gotta knock it pretty far down on my list of, yeah. of Twilight Zones I appreciate. But in terms of uh, Rod Serling's appearances, right, it's kind of at the top. Well, and like awesome stories. That's and fun. Rod Serling, born on Christmas Day. Aww. We wish you a Uh, last year, I gave you a Christmas mixtape. Yep. Mix CD. Uh-huh. Tape. Jesus. Tape. It's okay. You can call it a mixtape. Where I pulled Christmas songs from a bunch of different sources, tried to get you stuff you probably never heard. Which you always succeed in doing. Thank you. Uh, I was going for a, uh, a ghoulish Christmas. You, you know say. your audience. So there's three main sources that I found. If you want yourself some uh, some monster Christmas music. Yeah. The Monster Christmas Mash, Merry Monster Christmas, and the Tales from the Crypt, Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas. My personal favorite. Well, the first one that came out was in 1964 was Merry Monster Christmas. One guy does all the voices <laughs> in it. His name was Len Maxwell, and you can kind of really tell it's one guy doing all of the voices. Yeah. It's four kids. It's set up kind of like, like a comedy album, and their songs... But then there's also sketches. Little scenes. It starts with just a straight up Boris Karloff impersonation. And then he's got Igor, who's just a, a Peter Lorre impersonation. <laughs> and then the Bela Lugosi Dracula comes over and they all have like Christmas together. Yeah. In some uh, takes on like monsters and Christmas, yeah. the monsters hate Christmas and they want to stop Christmas. Like the Grinch. Sure. In this one... Monsters celebrate Christmas, but they do it in their own way, uh, where the mistletoes are made of actual toes. The sketches are just good and cheesy. Remember 1964? Sure. I imagine that at least in one of the sketches, they're like all at a a Christmas party or something. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, Uh Nice. There's like a a, a radio DJ parody. So like, uh, now to our roving reporter out on the street where Dracula was flying as a bat and ran into Santa Claus. Ah, and um, the Peter Lorre Igor is like a mall Santa in one sketch. Um, the monster returns a Christmas present is one. <laughs> with, That's um, an elaborate title. Yeah. Well, you recall last year I, I showed you the Jack Benny Christmas episode? Mm-hmm. And there, there's like... Oh, at the, at the department, the store? department oh, store? Oh, what a great episode. That, that ends with Mel Blanc committing suicide. Yes. And 
and Jack Benny reaching into the register to get his own change. Yep. Check that out, people. It's a fantastic episode of television. And uh, so there's the actor Frank Nelson. He's the guy who, uh, like, Jack Benny will be like, sir, sir, and then he'll turn around and go, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> he was in that episode. He's in a lot of Jack right. Benny. So they did that. So it's like, excuse me, sir, we have to return this sweater. Yes. <laughs> well, what's wrong with it? And, you know, it doesn't fit because his arms are two different lengths. Oh, monster problems. Wolfman home for the holidays. Aww. It's the Wolfman and his gypsy mother, but the Wolfman has the voice of W.C. Fields, which was probably dated even for the 1964 <laughs> crowd. <laughs> but one of the songs, the the Sounds of Christmas, I, I put on your CD, which uh, is the, the Karloff character and... He ends with, till we meet again some night, and we will, you know. <laughs> so, it, it, it keeps some edge. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Ten years later, Monster Christmas Mash mm-hmm. came out, not to be confused with Bobby Boris Pickett, who did the Monster Mash. Right. And his Christmas follow-up, Monster Holiday, which sounds a lot like... The Monster Mash. Yeah. Just with jingle bells behind it. So, but the Monster Christmas Mash, because it came out in 74, has a little bit of like disco funk to it. Oh boy. And a narrative that goes through it, which is Frankenstein is uh, feeling very sad. And he's approached by his good friend, Peter Lorre, who in this is is referred to as old friend. They just say like, well, old friend. And Mm -hmm. they don't really say what he is. He's just kind of old friend. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's wrong, my friend? (laughs) Nothing, old friend. Exactly. (laughs) Frankenstein wants to be invited to a Christmas party. Well, yeah. And he's sad that he's never been. So all the monsters get together and they say, are we going to help out our friend? Yeah. Then we'll throw him a Christmas party, (gasps) which goes against everything they believe. Right. According to... Warmth giving. The the first song, which is like like Christmas has to go. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, it's Christmas or Us. Oh. That's what it's called. But even they catch the Christmas spirit. They do over the eventually. course of the party where they, they sing uh, the title song, Monster Christmas Mash, which is a catchy song. Then it's a rocky road for Frankenstein because even once he's at the party, then he's like, oh no, I'm under the mistletoe. No one would want to kiss me. And then he sings about how no one would Aww. want to kiss him. But then the wicked witches kiss him. <gasps> right. Oh. And then this is followed by Dracula singing a version of All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. <gasps> Uh, which was definitely on the CD you made me. Oh, uh, good, good. All good. I want for Christmas yeah. is my two front teeth. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then thanks to the monster Christmas party, Frankenstein is back to his good old self. Yeah. And he proves this by screaming like, like roar, so loud yeah. it even scares the other monsters. <gasps> and he's like, that old friend, he's back to his old scary self again. <sighs> Merry Christmas. That's... That's just so That's heartwarming. My, okay, which brings us to Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas. Oh, yes. Uh, Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas came out in 1995. And somehow it escaped my knowledge until Up 2011. Until <laughs> now, I only gave you a few of those tracks, Ugh. but The Crypt Keeper is in all of them, singing or just talking. Mm-hmm. Many of these are song parodies. Deck the Halls with Parts of Charlie <laughs> is a lot of... Uh, just na- naming body parts uh, that he wants to decorate his uh-huh. home with. Track four, the best song, We Wish You'd Bury the Missus. We Wish You'd Bury, bury the, the Missus, She's Been Dead could, This Whole Year, or something like that. Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty great story from the neighbors to, uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody has left their dead wife on the lawn for an entire year, and it's, <laughs> it's getting quite smelly. Uh, uh, 
O Tannenbaum reworked as Mo Teitelbaum, <laughs> which is about a guy who embalms people before they're dead. <laughs> then you get the Christmas wrap. Uh, oh. Skipping now. Uh, which is a rap oh, about what various God. monsters... It was 1995. Everyone was rapping. Yeah. Christmas card for the Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper's family Christmas. Twas the fright before Christmas. Mm-hmm. 12 Days of Cryptmas, where it's a, you know, as with all 12 Days of Christmas parodies, you, you really need a, a winner for the five golden rings. Oh, right. Because you're going to say it over and you over really and hit sing that it. One. Really, yeah. So that one's five mortal wounds. <laughs> So on and so on. So much singing in this episode. I love it. More than most. <laughs> Revenge of the Crypt Keeper is a, a story in rhyme where he leaves out quicksand for Santa. But then Santa's what like... What a mischief maker. He's like, but before... you know, like, save me. He's like, nope. He's like, but I have a jack in the coffin for you. And it warms his heart, so he saves Santa. He, wow. But then he gets stuck in the quicksand. And he's like, and I say to you all... That's fantastic. The album wraps up with an old anxiety where he just lists what's basically celebrities in hell. So it's like, it's John Wayne and JFK and mostly Jeez. people who had been dead for a while. Yeah. But it was 95 that this came out. So um, he uh, he mentioned Richard Nixon just got here. Oh, boy. And I, I put on a thinking cap and I figured out that uh, Kurt Cobain had died. A couple weeks before Nixon. But they don't mention him. That would have been poor form, I think. Yeah. I mean, not that any of it isn't, but that would have been particularly... Yeah. That was a fresh wound. But uh, Nixon, he's fair game. Well, you know not he that is. he is. <laughs> yeah, all right, there you go. Ooh, you're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. Before we sign off, I want to mention a favorite blending, I guess, of a classic horror and Christmas specials. Yeah. Which is Boris Karloff's The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Oh. That he served as narrator and the voice of the Grinch. Yeah. Uh, pretty late in his career slash life. Although he did not uh, sing the song. And who sings the song? The uh, real singer of uh, Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch, was Thurl Ravenscroft. What? I looked him up. They didn't say on, on his Wikipedia page if he was born under any other name. But if you're looking to change your name into a bit of badassery, yeah. uh, <laughs> you could be worse than Thurl Ravenscroft. <laughs> That's great. Thurl Ravenscroft uh, has been around for a while. In his career, he was Uncle Theodore, the lead vocalist of the Haunted Mansion Singing Busts. <gasps> Yeah. That's so was like, awesome. I'm going to go come out to socialize. But yeah. That's him. Holy crap. I'm so thrilled for the next time I get to go to Disneyland. And, yeah, there you go. And know that. Mr. Chris. Well, Kat, that concludes our uh, Christmas episode. It was so much fun. Thanks for joining us. Look for us on the 13th of every month for an all-new episode of Boys and Ghouls. Lots of fun stuff to come. Stay tuned. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at boysandghouls at gmail. And you can follow us on Twitter or find us on Facebook. Click that like button. We are always posting lots of really fun stuff. And look for us on Tumblr, too. All right, Kat. Thanks for joining me. And as always... Beware the moon. Beware. 
Okay. 